0: Test, test, test. Oh, man. <laughs> so, this uh, recorder that I used to make this show, I'm sure I've said it before, but this thing, it's amazing. Like, I got it in the late, like, 2008, 2009, something like that. I got it as a gift, and uh, it's uh, gone through a house fire. I've dropped it in water, all this stuff, and it just keeps working. But uh, lately, it's been, sometimes when I turn it on, it's this horrible, it makes this horrible static sound and I'm like oh maybe that's the end of this thing I don't know so I was doing that today and I'm just like what is happening I try little buttons and different things and it's not working but then I thought back to uh, all the times in life where you know you're you're not supposed to uh, you know to fix things you're not supposed to strike them technically but it's amazing how often that works like I used to have this computer when I was a teenager that the uh, the fan inside would make this horrible grinding sound and we got into the habit, just me and everyone who hung out at my house to just pick up the computer a few inches, a couple inches off the ground and just drop it, one of those big, you know, fucking tower computers of the late 90s and it would fix it you know (laughs) just think of all the times that i've hit something or kicked it or thrown it and it fucking fixes it that just happened again i'm like you know what who cares this thing is fucked anyway it's 10 years old it's gonna it's ready to die at any time so let's just drop it on some concrete i picked it up about i don't know a couple of feet dropped it and it works it works fine now you know (laughs) i don't know i just love that sometimes you throw a controller across the room and it breaks sometimes it doesn't sometimes it fixes it you know fuck it in a way that's kind of part of the philosophy of this book i'm writing about this rhino alien is like i just i had a way worse temper when i was a kid like i would get really angry at video games and throw controllers and shit i remember the game kid chameleon on the sega genesis was the last time i really lost my temper no one else was home And I just was like, that game is, it's a fucking son of a bitch. Like, if you look at good platformer design, like a Super Mario game or something, anything from Nintendo, and you take the opposite and you get Kid Chameleon, it is just a clusterfuck. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff and a lot of weird, interesting things, but it's just a mess. It's just a jumble of shit on every level. That is a, it's a bizarre, bizarrely interesting game but it's not cohesive it's not well uh well done <laughs> and uh yeah and i just remember i was just like i knew no one was home so i knew nobody would uh, it wouldn't be as embarrassing for me to just lose my temper at this game but at the same time i mean i just remember it so distinctly where i was just like so angry at this stupid video game and i mean at that point i was probably 14 or something and there was just this other layer at the bottom of my mind that was like you're too old for this. This is insane. This is no way to go through life. Like You got to get it together. And I never got that mad at a video game again. I just, I, I really kind of just got to the point of if I felt myself getting mad, I would just put the controller down and just be like, fuck this. I just don't care. I'm just going to go do something else. And in some ways, I guess that avoidance philosophy has uh, carried through ever since. If I just hate a job too much, I just quit. <laughs> you know, shit like that. I hated school. I just stopped going. It's like fuck it, this situation is not working, I am out of here. But yeah, it's it's remarkable though. I mean, like, that sometimes it works. Sometimes violence is the answer. Sometimes aggressive fucking action is the answer, you know? Even just like getting pissed off at somebody or at some situation, and you're just like you if you do lose your temper and it's embarrassing in the moment but it's like hey man at least now it has to change at least now i can't just stay in that situation that sucked i'm not just in denial mode the camel's back is broken the wave is crested it's over now i guess i'm talking about two different things here (laughs) i'm talking about the fucking the way, at least you, you, don't, you won't get stuck in a rut in your life if you fucking flip out on things and just fucking blow up. If you blow up a situation, it's not the best way to proceed. It would be nice to proceed in a more reasoned way. But if that's what you got to do to make things change, then that's what you got to do. And, less dramatically, on the physical side, sometimes you just drop something and it fixes it. <laughs> Surely, though, at this point, this has got to be the last legs for this fucking recorder. I mean, it is of remarkable quality. The Zoom Corporation of Japan deserves kudos. But if this is how it's going to be now, that every time I want to use this thing, I got to drop it on some hard concrete, I mean, surely to fuck, that's not a sustainable situation. (laughs) Anyway, so that's a ramble. So I'm back from Japan kind of feel like i want to talk about that about just travel shit that i noticed but whatever i'll get to it later because what i do want to talk about now is try to keep this roughly writing related sometimes i kind of wonder with this podcast i'm like it's getting up there you know it's like a lot of episodes now and i'm like really what is the point of this who the fuck would listen to this what do they get out of this how is this It's barely even about writing anymore (laughs) you know but then i got to remind myself that like who cares You know, who gives a shit? There's like, I think I read somewhere that at this point, there's like over 50,000 different podcasts. So what, who cares if there's one more? What's it hurting? And that really what this podcast is, is like the snail trail that's just left behind me as I write a novel, you know, just through the process of working on a novel, this podcast just happens. So I mean, if it's useful to anybody or not, it doesn't really matter. If it's at all useful to me, if it helps me at all, which it does, it definitely helps keep me on track, keep me on task, helps make this whole endeavor of writing a novel feel more real and more substantial and more concrete, then that's the only thing that actually matters about this podcast. And if anybody listens to it, and if anyone gets anything out of parts of it, or if they don't, it just doesn't matter. That's not what's really important about this. I'm kind of out of it, too. Jesus Christ. Just the jet lag. It's so bizarre. Okay, so I'll just say this about flying. So I left, I I flew through Taipei. It was the cheapest flight. Left Taipei at like 11.55 p.m. Flew for 11 hours, but since we crossed the international date line, I got to Vancouver at like 6.30 or 7 p.m. or something. That same day. (laughs) That's so fucked up. It's like the sun is back up again on the same day and then oh man once I finally got to sleep and like I slept for like 15 hours and now I'm back to I mean, I'm i just fucked it's the middle of the night right now it's like 3 a.m. but I just I my, <laughs> my sleep schedule is so fucked I still have to go to a bank I just got in yesterday so I got to go to a bank to sort out all my bank stuff it's the whole reason I'm back in Canada I don't know how I'm even going to fucking wake up before the bank closes, like, I might have to just stay up all night and go to the bank when it first opens, (laughs) like, I'm just fucked. This is cool though, because back in Vancouver, which is where I was, when I started this fucking podcast series, I wish I could say the book was done, but I mean the book is coming along, you know, it's way closer to done than it was when I started this podcast, so things are still going. But anyway, alright, enough rambling. What I wanted to talk about, because I'm just sitting in this park by myself, it's the middle of the night, and I was just watching some stuff on my phone. So while I was in Japan, they're still real big into Evangelion, which was, you know, this anime that came out in the late 90s, and was real, real popular. And uh, I watched it at the time, and I liked it, but it didn't really stick with me, you know? I haven't really watched it since. But like I did a big VR thing with my friend Brad where we were each piloting one of the EVA mechs and it was only like 10 minutes but it was like real good VR where you know you get in a great big fucking pilot thing and fucking pilot it around and I was a little proud because he said he'd done it like three times before with other people and they'd always lost but due to my sweet video game skills we fucking destroyed the shit out of that thing and he got to see the good ending that he had never seen. And it was kind of cool, it cost $10, it was about 10 minutes of like super great vr and i'm like you know this is kind of better than spending 10 bucks to go to a movie and just sitting there for two hours being bored out of my goddamn skull like i'd kind of rather have 10 minutes of really good shit instead of two hours of fucking nonsense but they also did uh in fukuoka This big light show, it's like a fountain show of Evangelion, where they project a bunch of Evangelion stuff on the wall and play Evangelion music. And then the water fountain stuff just, like, shoots out. Like, if they're shooting fucking missiles, then, you know, the water sprays up as though that's where the bombs hit and just cool shit. So I was in an Evangelion mood. And I never saw these remake movies. They started putting out, like, Evangelion was kind of famously a low-budget show that turned out really well, but was kind of a mess, you know, because they just uh, ran out of money, and, and the ending was just weird and bizarre, so they started making these movies. The Rebuild of Evangelion. Three of the four have come out so far. Where, you know, they can do it kind of uh, with an actual budget this time. So I decided I'd watch those. And I'm on the second one, and what I can't help noticing is this goddamn, just ridiculous Japanese writing, which uh, I've, I noticed some time ago, mostly through video games, where I've just like been turned off more and more by video game storytelling. Like my, uh, my nonfiction book that I wrote, it's about this video game, The Last of Us, and uh, you can get it for free at KeithCourage.com. And one of the big themes I come back to a lot is how much video games have changed fundamentally where video games used to be designed for you to die. 70's, you know, arcade score attack games. You just play until you die. There is no end. And even in the 8-bit Nintendo days, you didn't necessarily expect to beat a game. You know, you'd rent a game and you just see how far you can get. But if you actually beat a game, that's a treat. And in the Genesis Super NES era, it started becoming more common for difficulty selectors to be there. And by the time you get into the fucking 64 bit era and beyond, video games had completely changed because they had stories. It was like required, basically, that a video game have a story, which was always fucking shitty. Because the video game stories were rarely integrated with the gameplay. Usually they're just crammed in there. It's like, you know, you're playing and then you watch a cutscene and then you're playing and you watch a cutscene. And the expectation changed where now people, when they bought a game, expected to be able to see the end of this story. And video game difficulty and kind of the fundamental challenge of what a video game was just went out the window. It's like, now we need to design this game for the lowest common denominator And man, if you're playing your video games on normal You need to quit it <laughs> You know, you need to admit to yourself That normal is the new easy Easy is like fucking For people that don't have fingers On their hands If you put a game on hard, you'll find that That is the actual normal That is an actual reasonable level of difficulty Normal is ridiculous <laughs> you know? It is just Just lame So anyway, I was falling away from video games a lot because of these fucking storylines that to me are just like gumming up the actual mechanical reality of what a video game should be, and they're not worth it. They're no good. I just didn't like the stories, so fuck it. Why am I struggling through for these goddamn storylines that suck? And nowhere did video game stories suck more than Japan, (laughs) you know? Like, it's just some fundamental difference in culture, or whatever, that no plot can be more nonsensical, no dialogue can be more boneheaded, than something from Japan. It's just the worst. It's fucking the worst. So I'm just sitting here watching this Evangelion movie on my fucking phone in this park in the middle of the night, and it's happened a bunch of times. I'm on the second of these movies where it just smashes you over the fucking head. And I guess I'm surprised, especially in the case of Evangelion, because Evangelion is so well-respected and is so, uh, was so ahead of its time in the 90s. And the guy who made it, like, he's had some quotes about how surprisingly arrogant, where he's like, these kind of arrogant quotes where he's like, you know, even though it's been 20 years, Evangelion is still the most modern anime that exists. Like, nothing has been as cutting-edge as Evangelion. And I mean, it's, uh, it's an arrogant thing to say, but he's kind of not wrong in a way. Evangelion really was pretty fucking great, and nothing has been like that since. Like, nothing I can pinpoint has that, that cultural cachet, that cutting-edge feeling of Evangelion. And like I said, I mean, the TV series obviously had a lot of problems. It wasn't really anything special when it came out. It was just a low-budget show. Gynax, the company that made it, like, they were pretty well-known and relatively respected, but no one expected Evangelion to be what it is. So whatever problems the TV series has are a lot easier for me to gloss over. Whereas these rebuild movies, I mean, they're gorgeous. They're beautiful. They're so well-animated. They look so amazing. The thing I was saying that I love about Asian storytelling of the quiet moments They're excellent for that. So many just quiet, establishing shots of, like, the countryside or even just a drink machine or whatever. I love that shit, and that's all over this thing. Production-wise, beautiful. But I really thought that if they're going out of their way to remake Evangelion in these big-budget, you know, literally spending millions to redo Evangelion kind of, like, properly this time that they would take a lighter touch with the dialogue and take a a lighter touch with the writing. And in a way, I feel like this is a, a little bit of a pointless episode to make because I don't really think this is a problem most North Americans face. Like, we just don't write the way Japanese people write. Like, even if we write something bad, even if we write something kind of schlocky and lame, it's still, like a million times more subtle (laughs) than the way Japanese people write. So I mean, I don't think this is something you're probably doing in your writing. This is probably not something that you're even culturally capable of, because like something deep down inside of you knows that this is so boneheaded and so just absurdly unsophisticated, unsubtle. Unsubtle, I guess, is the word I would use. And like I said, there's a bunch of times this happens in this thing, but I just want to, just this example of this part right here, just because this is what I just happen to be watching while I'm sitting here, and I just, it's like I just can't fucking take it anymore, you know, I'm gonna struggle my way through this shit, but this is so bad, it is so ridiculously fucking bad. So just to set the scene, there's this girl, Asuka, who is the red-haired girl in the big red robot who... You know, basically, the three characters of Evangelion are there's Shinji, who is the timid guy who just wishes that uh, he could get approval from his dad, there's Rei, who's the blue-haired girl who is just uh, semi-catatonic, doesn't talk very much. Like my friend Brad was saying, she was a really interesting character when she first came out, but now every fucking anime ever just has a copy of her in it. And Asuka's just an asshole, she's just a fucking dickhead argues all the time, doesn't get along with people, whatever. So they were setting up this little, they're going to get together, have a little get together, have a little dinner together, and Asuka didn't want to go. She just wants to go through her pilot training and get back in her big robot and fight people. So this is a phone call she makes to her commanding officer. And let me just read you. This is just subtitled, so I'm just going to play it and I'll read the subtitles. She calls up and just listen to this fucking conversation. It is ridiculous. Like, this is worse than a first draft this is worse than if you're just writing bullet points of like here's the general stuff i want to get across in this scene and then you would work on it from here you'd be like all right now i'm gonna make this sound like a conversation i'm not gonna just take my bullet points of my most base character motivations and like just everything just so flatly stated and put it in as dialogue you would never do that The hackiest hack in North America would never do this, but this is the final result. This is in the movie, and it's so fucking shitty. All right, so let's just go through here. All right, the commanding officer answers the phone. What is it, Asuka? She says, I just wanted to talk to you for some reason, Masato. Uh, Her commanding officer, Masato, thanks, sir for, uh, you know, all her do stuff she does to help pilot giant robots, and she says, uh, there's no need to thank me. It's simply the duty of the elite to protect the ignorant masses. So that's pretty on the nose, but I mean, all right, you know, she is a dickhead, so maybe she's just extremely aware of uh, the kind of elitist dickhead that she is. I mean, having a meal with everyone was never really my thing. Pretending to have fun with the others will only wear me out. I don't want to see others be happy. I should just pilot Eva. I always liked being alone. I never needed close friends. There's never been anyone who sees me for who I really am. As long as I get top scores in this test, I can deal with eating alone. Though recently I've been thinking that it's nice to be around others. It's not like me to say that though. I mean, how is that dialogue? How is that? That's like a character Bible. That's what you write in the fucking sketchbook. Here's the sketch of the character. Here's some stuff. That's not dialogue. You don't just call someone up and say that to somebody. Fucking. I mean, this thing, it's all over the place. It's like, oh, I see you're having problems with your father. Just like uh, how Masato also has problems with her father, huh? It's like, you don't just say that. Then she says, it feels good to talk to others. I never knew. Oh, really? Oh, do you just want to clarify that? I don't know. It probably doesn't seem that bad for me just describing it like that. Maybe it's just because I've been, you know, I'm hours deep into this thing now and it just keeps happening. It just keeps being this thing where these characters just keep constantly stating the themes of the story and what their character arc is and... uh, just sucks so bad (laughs) it fucking sucks so i don't know whatever just i guess make sure you don't do that that's all i don't have any fucking point for this episode i guess maybe to try to explain a little better or something a little clearer i guess it's hard i guess because i feel it i feel it in my fucking gut that this sucks that this is the wrong thing to do and that's kind of what i always do with writing that's why i go so slow and I just do a small bit every day, is because it's really just my gut. Like, I really feel like tone is the most important thing. If you can keep a consistent tone and build a consistently feeling world, to me, that's the most important thing in a story. You know, I've talked about how I don't like bad endings, and I don't like just pointless stories, but, but really, I think it's most important that if you can just capture a little world that has a specific feeling that's specific to you and just specific to how you feel and how you see the world. That's the most important thing. Like, even if the story kind of doesn't come together or kind of doesn't seem like it has any fucking point, that can be okay. Like, to me, the hardest thing to do is to make sure something just feels like you and doesn't fall into cliche and doesn't just fall into platitudes. That, to me, is the hardest and the most important thing to try to do. But beyond that, like as far as this shit that happens in Evangelion over and over and over, where the characters just barf out their internal, like, not even their internal feelings, because it doesn't feel like some character has been keeping themselves bottled up and like finally they just can't contain it anymore and it just comes out. And they're just like, here's what I gotta say. Here's what I've been feeling that I can't repress anymore. It doesn't feel like that. It just feels like the writer going through their notebook, and they're like, ah, oh, here's all my bullet points on Asuka. Here they are. Ah, uh, you know, I, I don't mind being all alone. I don't mind eating alone. I don't really like to hang around with people. But recently, I've been feeling more like maybe that might be okay. That's what you put on the back of the fucking trading card. <laughs> you know? Asuka, pilot of Eva, unit, whatever, two, I think is hers. And then you flip it over, and on the back, it's like, she, uh, you know, doesn't, uh, really hang out with other people doesn't, uh, doesn't need to be around them. Though recently her feelings have been changing on the matter. Like, that's, that's that kind of shit. That's not what you say. You don't just say it. And I feel like that could maybe relate a bit to one thing that I've been feeling much more now that I'm an older gentleman, you know, that I'm not in my 20s anymore, or my teens especially, is... I mean, I used to like stories that had a very distinct message more when I was younger. I mean, my favorite book when I was a teenager was uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, which is like pretty much nothing but a delivery tool for this philosophy she came up with, which I think is a really neat thing to do and is really kind of cool. It's like, what better way to illustrate these ideas than to have little characters act them out? But even at the time, and then especially now as I get older, it's like, yeah, but the big problem here is that She's got her uh, protagonists that are these great examples of her philosophy, and great in the sense that I do think they illustrate how fucking crazy her philosophy is also. just these weird statuesque emotionalist people. <laughs> you know? It's like they had, they are appropriate fucking avatars for this philosophy, all right. so that's weird, but more the, the bigger problem is that the antagonists are just fucking morons they're just idiots they're just these ridiculously thin little paper characters and I never liked that and uh, it felt a little cheaty a little unfair it's like yeah well you can make any philosophy look good if the other side are just a bunch of stupid pricks so, I'm trying not to do that in my story. It's like, even though I identify much more with my fucking rhino person who just wants to smash people's fucking faces in, <laughs> yeah, that is definitely how I feel on the inside. But I'm not going to espouse that as some reasonable philosophy or some good way to live. That's crazy. That's fucking nonsense. Whereas the other side, the uh, jellyfish people that are just like calm and analytical, To me, that's really tiresome, and that just makes me want to fucking smash people's faces in. It's like, shut up. Shut the fuck up, you little fuck. I'm sick of listening to you, (laughs) you know? But, again, that's not... There's nothing wrong with it. It's not an unreasonable way to live. It's probably the more reasonable way to live. So I never want to paint that side as, like, the bad guys. Like, I don't like that at all. So I'm really... I'm trying to avoid having these, like little messages you know like i just i don't like those i don't like when it's like here's here's the the thing i have to impart to you here's the wisdom i have to give you like who the fuck did who what who who the fuck do you think you are (laughs) you know what writer in history what human being in history has got some big message to give me You fucking kidding? You dead fuck? You're dead. I'm here right now. I don't care what you thought. I don't care what you think is important. I don't fucking give a shit. And you shouldn't give a shit about what I think either. Like that is just so, it's such a basic thing to do. Such a baseline way to write a story of like, here's my message. Here's my big thing. Think about it, huh? Maybe you never thought about that. Well, here you go. Think about it. Fuck that. I'm actively trying to avoid that. Like anytime I find myself trying to be like the school mom, trying to be the teacher, here's the thing I have to teach you. I try to make sure that doesn't go in my story because that's not valuable. That's fucking stupid. It's just like everybody's got their own lives. Everyone has figured out their own shit in life. So what I think is more useful is to just stick with, like I was saying before, like whatever, just whatever I feel underneath my fucking boring ass, like, oh, uh, here's my little thing I figured out. Here's my little fucking philosophy I figured out. There's almost certainly 50% fucking nonsense if I'm lucky. But if I just go with how I feel about life and feel about my place on the earth and try to hold on to that feeling, I think that's more valuable because it's more, it's deeper, it's more abstract and maybe someone else will, maybe like people will get something out of that that isn't something I'm giving them, it's like they'll just find something that was in them already, you know, they'll find what they think they'll find what has been like buried in there that's hard to get to maybe if they read some shit that I wrote, you know, something that's in them will, will come out, (laughs) and will be more visible and I just don't think you can get there directly. You can't get there by just saying, here's my thing I thought about. Here's my thing I think about life. Here's my thing I think about people. It's just so pointless. It's just so flat and so lame. And it couldn't be more well illustrated than these fucking Evangelion characters just stating for the record, here's the type of person I am. Here's the type of character I am. And here's what I've been thinking. But ah, uh, hey, you never know. Perhaps through the events that are transpiring to us within this story, perhaps I will change those thoughts. Perhaps I will have new ones, different ones. Perhaps I will grow as a person. It's so fucking shitty. It's so shitty. No writing could be worse than that. I'm saying it right now. These fucking parts in the rebuild of Evangelion, where characters just spew out the fucking details of their own character or of the plot, that is baseline Worst writing possible. You can be as bad as that, but you can't be worse. It fucking sucks. 100% sucks. So whatever that guy's name is who made Evangelion, uh, it's still the most modern and current anime. Yeah, maybe it is, but it fucking sucks. Get your shit together, Japan. Get your shit together. This is not how you write stories. It's not how you write characters. Fucking Jesus, stop it. (laughs) have some subtlety you stupid cunts have some fucking subtext have some something that is not just a direct punch in the face of a plot point or a storytelling thing what am I fucking talking about god damn it alright I guess I'll just end off real quick by saying that uh, I couldn't believe how easy the flight back was where You know, until I had all these problems with my bank card and stuff, I was going to just keep going. Just go to like a little short flight to Korea, maybe go to Hong Kong or something. Just because uh, I was trying to avoid a crazy long flight. But I couldn't believe how easy it went, where like, I, uh, I didn't really get enough sleep the day before travel. And then the day of travel, I still didn't. So I was like two days worth of just not enough sleep, really exhausted. Then I had to ride three hours on the subway across Tokyo because I was on the wrong end of Tokyo for the airport, then a three-hour flight to Taipei, then a five-hour layover, then an 11-hour flight to Vancouver. And I mean, that should be awful. That was everything I was worried about before, like that's just a crazy long day of just shitty traveling. But because my journey to Japan was so miserable, which as I chronicled in this show, like I was sick, I had diarrhea. (laughs) I got stranded overnight in Russia and then got drunk in Russia so I was also hung over. Just that all that stuff happened and it was so cartoonishly shitty. That compared to that, this huge long day of flying where everything was just fine, I wasn't sick, all I had to do was just sit there and chill out. So easy and I just, it's so neat. It's like I leveled up on traveling. Like I had such a bad hard experience Man, pray that you never get diarrhea when you're on a long flight day. It's just ridiculous. It's really bad. (laughs) And then all that other stuff just compiled and made it worse. And that Russia story, I mean, ultimately, I'm glad it happened. It was a fun, weird thing, but it really made that trip tough. Like, really fucking tough. So, yeah, compared to that, I mean, shit. I just did an 11-hour flight without uh, any problems. And, I mean, that's about as long as a flight can get. It might be a little further to get to... Australia, but I don't know that there's anywhere that you can really fly that's much longer than that. I've kind of maxed it out and it was no problem. And I'm like not worried about it anymore. I'm not afraid of it. I'm just like, whoa, compared to how shitty that was the first time, this was nothing. Like even after all that and I was crazy fucking exhausted, I still got off the subway early in Vancouver just to walk to English Bay and walk across like the whole downtown part of Vancouver with my big heavy book bag even after all that I deliberately went on like an extra hike because I was just like fuck it I feel okay I don't feel bad and it made me think like uh, I think my biggest phobia is probably heights like I don't even like walking across tall bridges it just really freaks me out if I was to go skydiving like would that be so high and so freaky that I just wouldn't mind smaller heights after that you know that I could go up into the CN Tower and stuff I don't know I mean, it feels like that might work, right? The problem is I'm not going to do it. It's just not that important that I not be afraid of heights, you know? And it's really tough to, like, do these things deliberately. It's way easier if they're just forced upon you by Russia, (laughs) you know? Like, I should thank Russia for making that trip so fucking shitty that it made other trips afterwards seem so great and just so easy. But I did uh, come up with a couple little things. I don't have a lot of experience with super long-term flying. Like, mostly I just fly around Canada and just none of those flights are all that long. But I came up with a couple of things that really did kind of help where, especially that mountain on Fukuoka where I was hiking every day. And it made me realize just how important, I mean I've always known exercise is important and I always spend a good portion of my day like walking and stuff. But it really helps to uh have a mountain around if you can walk uphill you get a lot more out of it but just that i do spend a good portion of every day doing something physical and it just helps keep my mind right and i realized like no wonder like i find it so stir crazy and awful to have these long flights because it is just a whole day of sitting so like for that five hour layover in taipei i fucking got my big heavy ass book bag and I just hiked around the airport for I don't know a while just from one end to the other let's just hike around just to get that in in the day like not to just sit on the plane for three hours then sit at the airport for five hours then sit on the other plane for 11 hours like in the middle I got in a nice little fucking airport hike just to get that physical activity going And it really helps. So I'd recommend that for sure. That's definitely what I'm going to do from now on is anytime you have a layover, don't just stand there, like try to walk around as much as you can during the time that you can walk around. It definitely pays off. And the other thing is I have a really hard time sleeping on flights. But what I found was like interesting is not to put that stress on myself, that pressure of trying to fall asleep, because that just gets frustrating. You're like, I wish I could fall asleep, but I just can't. And then that compounds and it makes it even harder to fall asleep because then you can't sleep when you're frustrated. <laughs> you're know, you not going to drift into sleep when you're like angry that you can't sleep. So I just decided, you know what, fuck it. Don't try to sleep. Instead, you know, I'm always like, oh, I should really meditate more. Like I, I rarely do it anymore. I had a good stretch in like 2014 where I was meditating every day and it was like a good experience. I really liked it but it's just hard to motivate myself to do unless my life is so down in the dumps that i'm desperate for anything to calm my mind you know so i hardly ever meditate anymore but i decided like why not i'm just sitting on these planes for hours and hours and hours let's take this as like you know take this negative and turn it into a positive it's like i'm just stuck here all i can do is sit here let's use this opportunity to meditate It's really, I mean, I think the longest I've ever meditated is like 30 minutes. You know, it's really not that big of an ask. And it's like, well, hey, now's my chance. Let's do it. I got my little meditation app thing that just plays this nice uh, rain noise for half an hour. So I know it's been half an hour. So I put that in, close my eyes. And it's like, I'm not trying to sleep. That's not even what I'm doing right now. I'm just meditating. Here's my chance to meditate. And wouldn't you know it? I just ended up falling asleep. <laughs> you know? It is just like, there's so much shit like that to life that is like the reverse, you know? You just like, you do the opposite thing or you just take your mind off it, I guess. You just, like when you put your mind to goals, it's amazing how much that can fuck you up, you know? You just like, you fail it because you're trying. And if you don't try, it's way easier to succeed. <laughs> it's just like some fucking zen shit, dog. So that's what I learned, is just if you've got a layover at the airport, hike around, get some walking in, and if you can't sleep on planes, give the meditation thing a shot, because you're functionally doing the same thing, but you're just thinking about it differently. And you kind of can't fail, you know? It feels like a win, the meditation thing, of like, hey, worst case scenario, I'm always saying I want to meditate, so now I'm going to do it. The benefit to being trapped on this plane is I'm going to do my meditation for today. And then probably, while you're doing that, you might just fall asleep. So there you go, there's my fucking update. Back in Canada, back in BC, I haven't gone back to that beach yet. That like walk through, little hike through the woods to a abandoned, isolated beach where I did all the early episodes of this show. I'm looking forward to going back, but uh, not right now because it's 3 in the morning. It's cool, though. I found this little park that I didn't know was here. It's like this uh, kid's jungle gym play thing that looks like a pirate ship. That's fucking cool. Oh, shit. I need a song. (laughs) Got all the way to the end. Let's play another Metric song. So, uh, yeah, I had my little folder of Metric songs I was listening to a lot in Japan where I just went through all the recent Metric albums and funneled them down to about... 30 songs this song is called too bad so sad and uh it's good i like it so thanks for listening to my rambling once again i hope your writing is going well mine is still going slow but sure little tiny bits every day i in fact have not written anything today because i woke up at like 7 p.m and it's like i gotta get out of the house real quick while the sun's still up and i've just been walking around i'm on my way back but i'm gonna do that here while i'm at this park I'm gonna sit down i did some other writing earlier on some other stuff but not the main novel and that's that's the important one that is one thing that's kind of shifted is because i you know kind of get to the point where i'm working on three or four different things each day i used to always start with the novel and then do the other ones as backups i've started doing the reverse where uh I work on the other two or three things and then i finish with the novel which uh i don't know maybe i should put the novel back at the start but it doesn't really matter i'm still doing them all every day i haven't fallen off the wagon on that so i guess the order doesn't really matter i'm sure there's something slightly psychological happening like as this novel gets closer and closer to the finish you know it's uh, more and more of a weird burden in my head of like oh now when it's done i gotta do a second draft and i get to go back and realize what a piece of fucking trash it is and then after i do that then i gotta be like okay now what now i gotta figure out how to submit this book and do all that shit i'm sure there's a part of my brain that is resisting more and more and is like hey let's work on those other things first because the uh the big novel is it's the scary one that's the that's the tough project But all I'm doing is shuffling it back in the day. I still haven't, uh... I still do it. I still do it every day, so uh, I don't think this is a big enough problem to worry about right now. You know, you gotta give yourself a little flex, you know? You can't just be, uh... You must be flexible like a reed and not rigid like a cedar. Know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes you even just gotta... I'm actually at the same Airbnb where it was right before I left Vancouver last time where I remember uh, I did a little series of podcasts about how, how hot it was and how uh, just wrapping up the end of my stay in BC the first time, like, my brain was just not having it anymore, and I actually took, like, a week off. I'm like, you know what, I just, uh, fuck this, and <laughs> I took a week off writing. So even that, as much as I say over and over, like, consistency is important, make sure you work every day, don't miss a day, just do at least a little bit every day, But even that, every rule is meant to be broken. Sometimes you just got to listen to yourself. You know, you can't just blindly battle against how you feel on the inside. And yeah, in this case, it's not so bad. It's not like I got to take a week off. It's literally just I don't work on the novel first. I save the novel for last. But you know, I'm mindful of it. I got my eye on it. I'm not gonna let you slip, novel. You're not slipping out of my hands, you little fuck. Strangle you to fucking death till you're done. Till you're done, book. I'm gonna fucking choke you till you're done. Every day. Not gonna stop. All right. This is fucking weird feeling. It's the middle of the night, but it doesn't feel like the middle of the night. Because I'm on fucking Japan time, man. I'm losing my shit. Fuck. All right, here's Metric. Talk to you next time. Hey, welcome to the post-show. <laughs> On the plus side, uh, turns out, looks like this recorder, for now at least, is, uh, since I dropped it, since I did the drop-in therapy, it seems like it's working okay. Anyway, so this is a little weird, is uh, I stopped in at a 7-Eleven, just bought some fucking toothpaste and bottle of water, or whatever. And I got, like, probably another 40 minutes till like, I get back to my Airbnb, a little bit of a walk. So I saw a little bench, uh, that wasn't a bus stop bench. That's actually not that common around here. Most of the benches are for a bus stop. It was like a couple blocks away from the Port Moody police station. And it's like 3.30 in the morning, but I was like, eh, let me just sit down here for a sec. Let me just watch some more fucking bullshit that I've got on my phone. Watch a little TV on my phone before I start walking up the hill to get back. And I guess unsurprisingly, since I was right by the police station, a police car pulled up and was just like hey buddy like what's going on because <laughs> I guess it does seem a little a little weird just somebody sitting there in the middle of the night watching shit on their phone who knows maybe I'm like waiting to do a drug deal or something two blocks from the police station I don't know I mean I'm sure it's just that the guy's going around patrolling so just if something seems weird I mean what else is he up to at 3:30 in the morning might as well stop and see what this guy's up to so I just said, yeah, I know, this looks weird, like I just uh, just got in from Japan, my internal clock is all backwards, so I'm just sitting here watching a movie on my phone. You know, I can, I can mosey on if that's what you want. He's like, no, no, it's fine. But we had to go through a whole rigmarole, like, what's your name, what's your birthday?" blah, blah, blah. And it's a little eerie, he looked me up on his computer and he's like, oh, you lost your passport? I was like, yeah, Well, I was in Japan, lost my passport, had to get a new one. It's just kind of strange, like, I wonder what's on my file. Like, I got turned away at the border once in, like, 2008. Because I was moving to New York without a uh, proper visa and I was just going to stay for the whole year. And I'm such a little goody two-shoes that, uh, at the border, they could really tell I was lying. And it turned out to be no problem. I just had to fill out some stupid paperwork and shit. It It was no biggie, but they made this big show of, like, this is going on your permanent record, and you know, every time you cross the border from now on. You better keep your nose clean, because everyone's gonna see what a liar you were, liar. But then it never came up again, and like I wonder, is that on my thing? <laughs> you know? Doesn't seem like it is. Maybe there's a time limit, maybe only recent stuff is on your record. Like maybe that's all my record said was like here's Keith McNally, here's his birth date, he's from New Brunswick, and he lost his passport. Like <laughs> is that the entirety of my file? I don't know. I'd love to see it. I'd just love to know. It'd be interesting. So anyway, I just blabbed to the cop guy for a bit, and he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Technically, there's no reason you can't sit on this bench and watch your phone, so have fun. And he drove off. So was, you know, no biggie, but it's just always, it's weird to talk to the cops, you know? It's just strange. But what that made me realize, a little preemptive thing, is I was just sitting there on a bench watching my phone, like totally uh, innocuous thing to do but what if that cop had rolled by earlier (laughs) if he was patrolling over by that park where I'm just walking around a deserted park in the middle of the night loudly ranting to myself you know like I just kind of feel like especially in the middle of the night when no one's around and that was nowhere near a residential area it was like by a bunch of uh, industrial shit and the park itself was by some kind of, uh, like an ice cream store that was closed. It was just, there was nobody around. So I just was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just rant. Let's just rant about whatever dumb shit's on my mind and yell about things to no one. <laughs> but if a cop had uh, pulled by and just been like, hey, buddy, who are you? Why are you in the park yelling? That would have been very embarrassing and uh, impossible to explain. There's really no reason to be doing that. So in a way, this is kind of good. It's like a little preemptive thing of just like, just like, hey, don't do that. (laughs) Don't rant about your dumb half-formed thoughts about stupid writing shit. Don't rant them loudly into the night. Because there are police actively uh, patrolling around just to make sure that weird shit like that isn't happening. (laughs) So there's my life lesson for today. As much as I don't think novels should be uh, vessels for uh, shallow and obvious life lessons, podcasts can be. (laughs) So there's the lesson of the podcast. Alright. Even this just made a dog bark. I gotta shut the fuck up for tonight. All right, see you later.